to us through your word here today. In the name I pray. Amen. Amen. Good morning. Thank you. Please be seated. Good morning again. My name is Craig Thompson, and I am the other pastor here. If you're a guest with us this morning, you've seen three of us. Uh, Buster's not been up here this morning, but uh, we, are, we are thrilled to have you with us as we gather on this Christmas Sunday. It is our joy to be with you. Uh, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Psalm 98, and while you're turning, I'm going to share a couple of housekeeping details with you. First of all, I want to remind you that we are still collecting for our Lottie Moon Christmas offering. We have not met our goal. We have a ways to go, um, so I hope that you will um, pray very carefully and seriously about how it is that you might be able and willing to support Lottie Moon uh, with a gift this year. Uh, I've challenged and asked you all to pray about making your largest Christmas gift this year, the gift you give to Lottie Moon. Just a reminder that all the money that comes in through the Lottie Moon Christmas offering, we give through the Lottie Moon Christmas offering, not to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. Every single dime goes to support missionaries around the world. None of it stays here. None of it goes to administrative costs. All of it goes to support missionaries around the world uh, who are serving faithfully through uh, the International Mission Board of the Southern Baptist Convention. So I hope that you will make plans uh, if you haven't already, you can, uh, you can do that today, this morning. You can do that next Sunday. You can do it online anytime between now and December the 31st. And if it is postmarked by December the 31st, does it still get counted? We're going to take that as a yes, it does. So um, however it is that you would like to give, uh, please make plans to do that. While you're turning, the other thing that uh, I need to make reference to this morning, uh, today is the last Sunday that I will preach before I begin my sabbatical. We wrestled as a staff as to whether or not I would address this before the sermon or the end of the sermon, uh, but sometimes when the pastor gets up after everything is finished, everybody thinks he's reading a resignation letter, so we decided against that. Uh, today is the last Sunday that I will be preaching before I begin my sabbatical, so I won't be in the pulpit at all over the next, uh, from, well, I'll, I'll, I'll preach tonight and tomorrow night, uh, and then I won't be in the pulpit again until February the 3rd. Um, so I've already laid out my clothes for February the 3rd, I'm so excited already. We're going to, I, I'm just telling you, it's, I'm, Adam, I'm, I'm wearing jeans on February the 3rd. Y'all try, y'all mark it down in a jacket. I'm doing it. It's be the first time probably, I don't maybe ever, but, uh, uh, and we'll be in the book of Mark when I come back. That is my birthday. So y'all bring gifts. It'll be wonderful. <laughs> just give them to the building fund, actually just gifts to the building fund. Uh, but, uh, uh, we've, uh, we've addressed this a few times in writing and other, otherwise, but maybe not to the collected group. Uh, I will begin a sabbatical. Um, I'm not going anywhere. Um, I mean, I, I will probably go some places during that time, but like, I'm not going anywhere permanently. This is the question that has been asked. I'm going to try and answer a few. Yes. If you die, I will come back and do your funeral. Okay. Um, uh, it is true. Uh, well, most of you, some of you Buster will take care of it. Um, uh, no, uh, I'm, I'm not doing some strange interview at another church. Um, Angela's trying to get us to buy a house here. So, you know, we just can't agree on one. So that's not the case. Um, you know, we're, I'm not out courting other churches. I will spend time in other churches trying to listen to other people preach. I, I need to be preached to occasionally. I know y'all may find this hard to believe, but I don't know everything. And, um, I need to be preached to. Um, I, I need to learn, I need to grow, I need to study. 
Um, so that's, that's what's going to happen uh, during that time. You won't see me in worship services. Some of, you, you'll still hear from me. Some, I don't have friends outside of our church, so it's not like I can completely avoid you. Uh, but uh, I, I won't be here. Uh, pretty, pretty awesome, though. I, they're, they're, I was trying to count up. My numbers ran together. Six or seven different men from our church body will be uh, preaching to you in the, next, uh, in the coming weeks. Uh, some of you have asked, what could you do? How could you pray for me? You can just pray that I'm pretty nervous about this, just to be totally honest. I'm, I'm kind of nervous about just sort of walking away for a few weeks. Um, so y'all can pray that, that that'll be fine. Um, but make sure that you show up for these men who are going to be preaching. Um, we we kind of laughed about it in our life group this morning. Uh, pl- please don't take, take time off from the church. Um, you, you need this, and you need an opportunity to hear from other men who can faithfully divide God's Word. Uh, so uh, um, all of our staff will be preaching as well. So of our laymen, the, uh, uh, the preaching calendar is available. It'll be in the newsletter when it comes out next week as well. Uh, we've even got uh, Buster will be leading the music at least one Sunday. So lo- lots of different things. It'll be, be an exciting time here in our church body, and I'm excited to see what God's going to do through this. Um, I'm excited also, uh, like I say, to, to, to be back with you on February the 3rd as we move. You'll still see Angela and the kids. Um, that was the kids' greatest concern is that I was going to have a sabbatical and they weren't going to be able to come to church. Um, so uh, they won't be here all the time. Next Sunday we're going to do something that we haven't done in, I don't know, maybe 10 years. We're going to go and worship with Angela's mom uh, as a family, which is something that we we're, she's so excited to have us be there. So uh, those are some of the things that we'll be doing. But uh, I appreciate the questions and the prayers. Uh, if you have questions about it, please ask me. It's not a secret. We're not hiding anything. Uh, our staff is well aware of everything. Our deacons are well aware. Our personnel committee is well aware. There's, not a, there's nothing going on behind the scenes. I, am, I, I don't think I'm depressed or having a hard time or struggling. None of those things are true as far as we know. If they are true, somebody hasn't told me. But uh, I did want to address that this morning. All right, hopefully that's enough. Because I have one more Sunday morning sermon to preach before I'm not with you for a few weeks. I'm pretty excited about what God has to say to us this morning from Psalm 98. So hopefully by now you found Psalm 98. I'm going to ask you to stand in honor of God's word. You say, Craig, why in the world are we preaching from Psalm 98 at Christmas time? This psalm is the inspiration for joy to the world. And when Isaac Watts wrote joy to the world, Isaac Watts went to Psalm 98 and said, I want to rewrite Psalm 98 for a New Testament believer so they can sing it with joy to the Lord. So we're going to read Psalm 98. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre. With the lyre and the sound of melody, with trumpets and the sound of the horn, make a joyful noise before the King, the Lord. Let the sea roar and all that fills it, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands, let the hills sing for joy together before the Lord, for He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. Let's sing, or let's sing. we could sing, let's pray together. Father God, we praise you this morning for you are worthy of all praise and glory and honor. 
Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Meet with us this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. What happened at Christmas? Like we sing joy to the world, but what happened at Christmas? This morning in Life Group, somebody said that, that this series of sermons has kind of been like Christmas, the adult version, which I wasn't sure how to take initially. Um, but as we've wrestled through some of these things at Christmas and looking at the Christmas story and, and some of the background, just a reminder that there, there are aspects of this that we kind of get lost in our, in our little tykes nativity set. But that Christmas, that very first Christmas, the arrival of Christ was, was traumatic. We talked about that a few weeks ago, didn't we? That it was, it was anything but a silent night. It was terrifying for everyone involved. We even saw last week how the declaration of Emmanuel, of God with us, though it is great news to its original audience, was a rebuke. You will listen because I will accomplish my purposes. This morning, we're going to look at the fact that at Christmas, at Christmas, God broke through and declared his victory over all of creation. God broke through. He didn't just declare his victory. He extended his hand of salvation to all the world. What happened at Christmas? Joy put on flesh and dwelt among us. Psalm 98 tells us that God is so great that even the heavens and the earth declare his glory even the heavens and the earth declare the great glory and majesty of God. This is a psalm of victory. Now, we don't fully appreciate this psalm because in our language, or in our language we can, but in our world today, we don't often think of, 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 of victory in a, in a warlike fashion. But the victory that is proclaimed here is a victory in war. God is to be praised. The king is to be praised because he has established victory. Folks, understand that when victory comes, captives are liberated and the evil is defeated. Again, we live in a peaceful time. We don't fully understand this living in America. Those of you that have lived long enough to at least know those who served in World War II and World War I, they understand what it was that they were fighting against. That when, when the Allies declared victory in World War II, there was, a, there was an immediate joy that began to sweep across Europe. Because victory meant not only that the Nazis had been defeated, it meant that the prisoners were going to be set free. Boy, it's a beautiful thing. It's a glorious thing. And when the psalmist wrote Psalm 98, he wants us to understand that there is victory. And this victory over God's enemies is what? Joy for all of God's children. For in that victory, he has set us free. I want to see three things that happened at Christmas this morning. First thing, and when I say Christmas, I don't mean Tuesday morning, though obviously... We're reminded, I'm talking about 2,000 years ago when Jesus showed up. The first thing, God did a great thing. God did a great thing. Obviously, we'll get into the specifics of Christmas in a few minutes, but I don't want us to gloss over the big picture fact that this was a new and awesome thing. God coming to earth as a man. This is a wonderful thing. Don't miss that. Don't miss it. It's marvelous when the king pays a visit. 
Do you understand that even if he does nothing else, it is a comfort when the leader shows up? As I thought through this this week, I, I, I couldn't help but, but be reminded of George W. Bush post 9-11. So there he is at the World Trade Center. Do y'all remember that scene? So it, it, to me, as, as, a, as a, a, a 30-something-year-old man who was in college during those, that, that time, that, that is one of the most powerful images of our country and of a president doing his job than I've ever, ever known. There he stood atop the rubble at the World Trade Center. He's got a bullhorn in his hand. He's, he's trying to speak, and somebody off camera shouts, We can't hear you! Y'all remember what George Bush said? GW, into that, into that bullhorn. He turns, he says, but we hear you and America hears you. George Bush did nothing when he showed up. He didn't clean anything. He didn't cure anybody. He didn't heal any wounds. But what he did was show up. And his presence there brought inspiration and encouragement and joy. The President of the United States put on a hard hat and climbed down into the rubble of the World Trade Center to experience alongside those who were working the pain and the struggle. And he says, I'm here with you. What a great thing our President did in that day. It is Traditional now for presidents of the United States of America to travel to disaster sites. We can remember times when that same president was lambasted because he took too long to get to New Orleans. Because there's this expectation that the leader will show up in the hardest times. And if he does nothing else, he will lead by his presence. Folks, God left heaven and came to live among us. He left heaven and came to live among us. This is a great thing. He, oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation. He has done marvelous things things we don't use words like marvelous very much do we anymore that's something that occasionally like a little six-year-old girl will walk through and they'll say daddy i look marvelous we've stumbled across old videos of aubrey recently and i i haven't i don't remember hearing marvelous but i'm sure they were in there mercy sakes this is what we'll we'll, we'll hear stumble out of their mouths occasionally but it, this is a big word god has done a marvelous thing Something that we would marvel at. To sit in awe and wonder. Look at what he has done. One of the greatest challenges of Christmas is that the story can become so familiar that it loses the awe, the wonder, the joy. I don't just mean the joy in a child's eyes at Christmas. I mean the marvel of the fact that God would leave heaven and come down among us and live in the rubble, in the trash of this sinful, broken world and would deliver a message of hope. I'm here with you. 
because he is who? Emmanuel, God with us. What happened at Christmas? The first thing we see is God did a great thing. The second thing we see this morning is that God made salvation known. God didn't just provide a path for salvation. He didn't just declare the gospel. I want you to understand this. God is the gospel. Jesus is the gospel. Do you realize that? It's not as though he just came to tell us some good news. He himself is the good news of God. He is the propitiating sacrifice for our sins. That's one of those big theological words that we should maintain because nothing else really gets to the heart of what it means. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. He paid the debt that we couldn't pay on our own and that no one else could pay. One of the questions we wrestle with in Life Group this morning is why did Jesus have to be God and man? It was necessary that he be both fully God and fully man. Fully man so that he could fulfill what the first Adam couldn't do and fully God so that he could fully and completely atone for the sins of all mankind. And he became our propitiatory sacrifice, atoning sacrifice that paid our debt and wiped the slate clean. He's done a new, marvelous, awesome thing, but he did that in making his salvation known. Check this out. If you don't believe me, believe him. He doesn't merely bring good news. He is the good news. He explained this to Nathaniel. Now, there's this weird passage of Scripture um, in John chapter 1, verse 51. John 1, by the way, is one of those past chapters that you should read at Christmas time for the spiritual breakthrough of God at Christmas. In the beginning was the word, wow. John chapter 1, verse 51. Now, I'm going to read this. And then I'm gonna, we're going to do a survey this morning, okay? We don't usually do these, all right? I tell you what, let's start in verse 49. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe? You will see greater things than these. Awesome. Then verse 51. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now, here's, here's the question, survey this morning. How many of you have read that verse before and been confused by it? Raise your hand if that verse has been confusing. Wow, how many of you are lying? That is, that is one of those that just throws you for a loop, especially if you don't use the cross-reference in your Bible, okay? So if you're, if you're doing a Bible reading plan this year and you get to John 151, if you haven't done the cross-references, it's crazy. But turn with me to Genesis chapter 28, verse 12. That's the first book of the Bible. I'm telling you because I'm having a hard time getting there. Genesis chapter 28, verse 12. We'll back up and try and catch a little bit of context, beginning in verse 10. Jacob left Beersheba, and he went toward Haran. And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down that place to sleep. And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven, and behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, the God of Isaac, and the land on which you lie, I will give to you and your offspring. Do you see that? There was this ladder, and the angels were descending and ascending and descending on this ladder to heaven. Jesus says to Nathaniel, you will see angels of God ascending and descending. Here's what Jesus says to Nathaniel. I am. 
I am the ladder to connect you from this temporal world to the eternal realm in which the Lord, which the Lord your God dwells. You see here in John 1.51, he says to Nathaniel, I am the way and the truth and the life. I am the only pathway to get you there. As many of you are aware, we've had some roof leaks in recent weeks. We've had to try and get those repaired. People have been out looking at these things. You know what? They all want a ladder because they can't seem to find their way into the attic without what? A ladder. I mean, you can if you're a little acrobatic, but for the most part, you've got to have a way. Folks, you can't just jump up there. How in the world do we get to the Lord? Now, the Bible says that there was a vision in Genesis. We know it had to be a supernatural vision because he laid down and he dreamed with his head on a rock. How many of you ever slept with your head on a rock? You can't sleep with your head on a rock unless it is a supernatural, God-induced sleep. Jesus says, I am the way. He is not merely pointing us in a direction. He is the way. When Christ was born, God didn't merely point a way to a relationship. Jesus is the good news of the gospel. He made salvation known at Christmas in that he revealed the Son of God. What a blessing! What a blessing, what a privilege, what an honor. God did a great thing. He made salvation known. And finally this morning, God revealed his steadfast love. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. God revealed it. Now, the psalmist says that God remembered it. Did God forget it? Absolutely not. Remember, this is just some poetic language. God brought it to mind for all of us. He revealed His steadfast love, His unchanging love. You know that God didn't begin to love us unconditionally at Christ's advent? This is where some people get the Old Testament wrong. They, 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 there's this, this belief that somehow or other God began to love us when Jesus was born. That somehow or other there was this version of God in the Old Testament and a different version of God in the New Testament. Folks, I want you to understand that from Genesis to Revelation, He is the same. From beginning to end, He is the same. He is unchanging. He is the eternal King of kings and Lord of lords. He has existed in Trinitarian relationship with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit from time immemorial in eternity past, in eternity present, and into eternity future, He will continue to exist as the Trinitarian God of this Bible. He is unchanging. There wasn't an angry God in the Old Testament and a loving God in the New Testament. Have you ever heard somebody say that? Folks, listen to me. People that believe that God was angry in the Old Testament and somehow got nice in the New Testament haven't read the book of Revelation. And I'll be honest with you, they've not read carefully Jesus' words in the Gospels. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And He is a God of love and justice and mercy and grace and peace and joy and he revealed his steadfast love you see when jesus came it's not as though god began to love it's as if the lights were suddenly turned on in a dark room 
revealing to us all the things that were there. I love our new sanctuary. It's not new anymore. I keep calling it new. We've been here for two years. Um, this, well, I guess a couple weeks ago, two years now. Took us two years to spring a leak. How about that? Um, that was a joke. Nobody laughed. Two years. Um, but I, I do. I, 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 I will come in here sometimes and just sit. Sometimes when nobody else is around. I'm, I'm up here occasionally by myself. I'll walk in and turn the lights on. and I'll, I'll sit on the stage. Um, I, I love to come in here when it's empty and to pray. I, I like to stand up here and pray about what might happen. Occasionally I'll walk the pews and pray. But I, I come in, I turn the lights on, and as long as the heat's on, it's enjoyable. Occasionally, though, somebody will stop by. Maybe it's somebody who uh, lives out of town, and they're, they're coming back through, and they drove by, and they saw the church, and they come in. Maybe they come for a funeral. Or they, wow, I didn't know y'all had done this. We got a wedding coming up here in a while. I, I was talking with the, uh, uh, the, the photographer recently. I said, you ought to come and, and, and take a look. Well, I mean, y'all still got this. And I said, no, it doesn't look anything like what you remember. You need to come take a look so you know what you're working with. But the best are when people haven't been here in like 20 years. They still remember green carpet. I don't. Y'all remember that? I've seen the pictures. I don't know who had that idea. The 70s were a bad thing, y'all. <laughs> but they come in and they look around and they say, man, it's beautiful. And then I love this one. They'll go, oh, Wow. Y'all kept some of the stained glass. And I say, oh no, we kept all of the stained glass. And they're usually going, uh, I said, but wait a minute, stand right here and I'll run up to the balcony. And I flip the switch. Greg, do you know where the switch is for, the, for the, these window lights? Flip the switch for me. Because they walk in and they see this. And they go, wow, it's beautiful. And they look around and they go, well, these windows are nice. I say, wait right here. Y'all look at the windows. Everybody look. Look. Take a, take a look. Y'all keep watching. And I'll, there we go. And they go, wow. It's beautiful. Why? Because stained glass is made to receive light. You see, the crazy thing about a stained glass window, and it doesn't matter if you're here at Malvern Hill or if you're in a uh, an ancient cathedral in Europe. You look up at those stained glass windows in the dark and you go, what a waste. What a missed opportunity to create something beautiful that could fill this sacred space. But then the light. And when the light comes, all of a sudden, when the sun hits Beauty is revealed. God didn't begin loving us when Jesus was born. Jesus is the sun that illumines the stained glass of the Old Testament. He is the sun that brings warmth and joy and light into the commands, to the law, and to the prophecy. It's through Him that suddenly... The joy and the love of the law come to life. And we say, he wasn't an angry God saying do not. He was a loving God cautioning us from danger and certain death. So even in the dark, 
stained, now not here because our stained glass is, is not exterior anymore, but in the dark, do you know that, that at night, we still have these few that are exterior, and at night, occasionally, if you remember being worshiping in here on Sunday nights and Wednesday nights in the wintertime, occasionally the car lights as they turn off Academy Drive would hit the windows and you could watch the lights kind of come all the way down and you'd have brief glimpses of the beauty of the, of the stained glass. But they were gone quickly, weren't they? It wasn't until the sun came up in the mornings that we fully beheld the beauty of these windows. Tonight in our candlelight service, we will talk about the coming of the light. But when the light dawned on creation, the joy that was brought was not a new God who finally loved his people for the first time. It was the God of the Old Testament shining the brightest spotlight in the world, the morning star upon us. The sun has come. And the sun has broadcast his radiant beams upon the stained glass of the Old Testament and in so doing has made known to us God's glory. Oh, in the dark, these stained glass windows can seem cold and uncaring. But when the light comes, they bring joy and comfort. And get this, it's more than that. Because they also point us to the glory of the King. You see, these stained glass windows tell a story. Some of you don't even know that. You never pay close enough attention. See, it was important for us to take pictures when they came out of the walls so we could make sure that they were in the same order when they went back in. But we only had to take pictures for the construction people. The people that don't know the Bible story. Because if you know the story, then you understand that it begins here and it works its way all the way across. And we see the baptism of Jesus over here by John. And then we come all the way around and we see Jesus in the garden. We see Jesus on the cross. We see Jesus risen from the grave. And we see Jesus ascending into the clouds of heaven. The light has this incredible power to reveal to us the mysteries of God in ways that we didn't fully know. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. What did God do at Christmas? He revealed His unchanging love. The sun came and shone His light in those things that were often difficult to see were made manifest in the light as we sing of His goodness and grace. Where does that leave us? I'll tell you what it does. It leaves us with the shortest sermon I've preached in years. What happened at Christmas? God came to earth, the eternal met the temporal, and the impossible became possible. God did an amazing thing. He gave himself to us, and in so doing, he made a way for us to inherit eternal life. He has set into place the undoing of sin's curse. This week, um, when, when we sang all the verses, I double-checked with Kevin before we, we got busy. This week, I, 
uh, I was preparing for this message, and, and, and as, since we've been preaching through all these Christmas songs, Christmas carols, I guess, and hymns, I, I've, I've been rereading the lyrics as a part of my sermon prep, listening to the song. And, and the other day, um, so I, I'll pull a hymn book down, but, but also our hymn books don't always contain all the, the, the verses. And so I'll also just Google it and, and pull up the first one that pops up and look at it. Well, when I Googled Joy to the World, the first one that popped up was actually a, 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 um, a modern version by Pentatonics, the a cappella group. And uh, well, I, I couldn't believe it. Like it just it made me sad because they, they'd removed a verse. They'd changed it. They hadn't removed it. They just completely changed and inserted a different one. So they, they don't sing about the curse. You see, in, in the original, when Isaac Watts wrote this, he wanted us to understand that when Jesus came, the joy of Christ was to be shown and seen as far as the curse of sin was found. How far is the curse found? Every inch of creation. Every inch is stained by sin's curse. Well, a, a modern pagan retelling of the Christmas story will certainly remove any thought that there could be the stain of sin in our world, but the Bible helps us to understand that it was precisely because of the stain of sin that Jesus needed to come. You see, because of the stain of sin, it was necessary for Christ to come, not only so that we might be saved, but so that all of the curse of sin could be reversed. Jesus is taking us back to Eden. For we will once again eat of the bounty of his intended creation. Joy to the world. The Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. And heaven and nature will sing. Because all of his creation will proclaim the glories of the Son of Heaven. This morning, Merry Christmas. As we sing, perhaps the response that you would give is to raise your hands in joy and praise to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Perhaps there's some of you here today who've never given your heart and life to the Lord. And today you would like to bow your heart to the King and experience salvation. You might like to come here and pray whatever it is that the Lord is leading you. I pray that you would respond in obedience. But that we would sing joy to the King of the world. Let's pray together. Father in heaven. Thank you, Father, that Jesus has come. Father, let us receive the King. Father, let hearts prepare Him room. And Father God, this morning, for a brief few minutes, Father, let us sing joy and praise to the King in such a way that the rocks won't cry out in our place. 
that Father Heaven may join in, but for just a few minutes that we could drown out the cacophony of nature. Sing praise to the King. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand with us and sing.